Welcome to True Paranormal, the podcast with your host, Leo Rizzuti. Every week we will explore such topics as ghosts, demons, poltergeist, haunted history, time shifts, cryptozoology, and other aspects of the paranormal through listener-submitted accounts, documentary studies, and interviews with the investigators that dedicate their lives to searching for proof of the unknown. So get a fresh cup of coffee, dim the lights, relax, and get ready for a short visit to the realm of the true paranormal. Hi guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. Uh, coming to you this week with 120% more sinus congestion. Yay! Don't we all love the wintertime and change of weather and how sick it can make you? So, yeah, I had a little bug there knocking me off of my feet for about a week, uh, but feeling much better now and glad to get back to talking to you guys about what else the paranormal. Uh, we've got a great episode this week. Uh, we're going to be going over some listener stories that you guys have submitted to us. So without any further ado, let's jump right into that. Our first story of the evening comes to us from Andrew, and he has sent it, giving it the title of The Ghost of Gladstone Village. Okay, Andrew, let's jump right into your story. My family and I lived at a large property called Gladstone Villa in the former mining town of Bargoed in the Caerphilly County borough of the South Wales Valleys in the UK. From 1969 to 1978, we experienced activity that simply defied rational explanation, such as lights going off and on. We witnessed electrical cables being pulled and my grandfather, Bill, claimed to have had a glass bottle thrown towards him as he entered the main bedroom, missing him by inches. I didn't personally see this myself, but I still recall the time he came from there with a broken bottle in his hands and told us what happened. There was the occasional sighting, but this was a very rare thing indeed. So rare that in all the nine years I was there, I never once saw it, but I did hear it many times in the bedroom. It's still worth mentioning that my mother, Caroline, saw it on at least two occasions. There were also regular footsteps heard in the main bedroom every evening. Sometimes, during the day, when we'd all be downstairs watching TV, one of us would turn the volume down to hear it more clearly, and my grandfather, Bill, would point to the ceiling and say, he's by here, and he's by there now, trying to make out where the footsteps were coming from exactly. There were five members of the family that were living at Gladstone Villa. My maternal grandfather, William Higgs, known as Bill to family and friends, a retired miner who worked at the local colliery. He was a short, bald man who liked nothing more than to listen to his country and western LPs, Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell and so on. He also liked westerns on TV that starred John Wayne or Clint Eastwood. My maternal grandmother was Rita Higgs. She was a short woman who was a housewife. She was completely teetotal but liked a good smoke. She also liked collecting garden gnomes and liked watching soap operas on TV. My mother, Caroline Dexter, 
met my father at the local bakehouse in Baldwin Street. She was day shift regularly, and my father worked the night shift. He would stay behind to make her a cup of tea and chat. They dated for three years before they got married on Monday, the 1st of April, 1968. The Beatles were number one with Lady Madonna, very apt. They did not get a place of their own, instead decided to live with my grandparents at Gladstone Villa, which was in Cardiff Road. I was born on the 24th of August, 1969, when everyone was listening to the latest number one in the charts, Honky Tonk Woman, by the Rolling Stones. It was soon after that that my mother said that strange things started to happen. I was just a baby when she said it all started off rather quietly like small tapping here and there, but nothing too noticeable. But in time, the activity gradually increased. One time, my mother said the family heard a noise, like someone jumping down from the attic and onto the landing. Naturally, thinking that someone was trying to break in, they went to see what was going on. When they got there, they found no one there, but the hatch to the attic was open. Whatever it was eventually occupied itself in the main bedroom, which, incidentally, was my grandparents' room. It soon made its presence felt by walking around the bedroom and the sounds of dragging could be heard. One day, my mother went upstairs to that bedroom to get my father up for work so he could get ready for his night shift. When she got there, she was confronted by the sight of the ironing board being placed on my father's torso as he slept. When he awoke, he was astonished to find the situation he was in. He suspected my grandfather Bill was playing pranks, but in time he knew my grandfather was not responsible for it, and he told his work friends what was going on there. They got around town that Gladstone Villa was haunted. My parents separated in 1972, and my father left Gladstone Villa. But it wasn't because of what was going on in Gladstone Villa. It was just a breakdown of their marriage. They finally divorced on the 25th of April, 1975. The British band, the Bay City Rollers, were number one in the charts with Bye Bye Bay again. Very apt. It would have been amusing, but for the fact of what was going on there. I was barely two years old, so I have no memory of my father living at Gladstone Villa but he would come to see me every Saturday to take me to my paternal grandparents and to the local cinema. Great times, even though the paranormal activity still continued. As I got older, I too witnessed the activity for myself. I actually saw the poltergeist activity for myself. I saw the electrical cables being pulled by unseen forces. I saw lights going off and on, and when my grandfather Bill would play records on Sunday, as the family did for dinner, it would turn the music off. It took exception to the British band Slade and any religious TV shows my grandmother Rita would watch. The local police were also involved. I remember them popping their heads into the attic, hesitating and not going in, but then suggesting that perhaps my father was playing a prank on the family. A family friend, Mrs. Amy France, she was more of a friend to my grandmother Rita, she was very skeptical when my grandmother told her that Gladstone Villa was haunted. I can still remember Ivy going into the main bedroom, looking around and saying it was a vibration from the traffic outside causing it. But she was soon to change her mind when she experienced it for herself. 
It was then that she suggested the local press and maybe a medium be called in. The medium was John Matthews, and when he came to Gladstone Villa, he started by asking the family questions. He then began by challenging the spirit to perform by knocking on the ceiling. Sure enough, it responded by knocking right back at him. At some point, John went into a trance to try to make contact with it, but he failed to get a name. He later confirmed the obvious that there was indeed a presence there, and it was an earthbound spirit, and that it had unfinished business. A priest by the name of Graham Jones was then called into Gladstone Villa. He blessed the property, and after a few prayers, he duly left, and it was quiet for a few short months after that. No incidents, but it did return, and with a vengeance, and this time it decided to show itself. One evening, my grandfather Bill, my mother Caroline, and I were watching television. My grandmother Rita was reading a book, when all of a sudden my mother just so happened to look to her left, and she saw the full, solid figure of a monk standing by the doorway. We did not see this as we were otherwise occupied, but she later described it in such detail as a monk in typical brown habit, complete with hood over the head, so she didn't see the face. It sounded very much like a 16th century Benedictine monk. Fred Davies was a friend of my grandfather Bill. They worked together at the local colliery, and he would visit most evenings. Fred was a slim man who would wear a flat cap and glasses and smoked homemade cigarettes that hung from his lips when he spoke. He would sit in his favorite chair by the open fire and talk to the family and watch TV with us. One day, Fred was with us in his usual place by the open fire. I was quietly playing with my toys by the side. It was quiet when all of a sudden there was one very loud bang. It was so loud that Fred ducked his head and I ran to my mother for comfort. When it was quiet, we all went upstairs. My grandfather, Bill, would always be first and I would always be last. When we got to that bedroom, we found nothing that could account for the noise. Fred later told us that he ducked his head as he thought it was going to come through the ceiling. Fred told us of another experience he had had at Gladstone Villa. My grandfather Bill liked to look out the landing window that overlooked Cardiff Road and Indebargo Town Center. This time, Fred joined him. He said he felt something brush past him, but when he looked, there was nothing there. The most frightening experience I had was when I was alone in that particular bedroom. I made sure the light was on, and it was very quiet. I was lying on the bed facing the window that overlooked Cardiff Road when suddenly I felt something heavy pounce on the bottom of the bed. I actually heard the bed springs go just once and I felt the bed bounce. I didn't look straight away but when I did there was nothing there. I went downstairs to tell my family and we all went back up. We saw distinctive paw marks on the bed, like that of an animal. I later found out that my grandfather Bill had a black Labrador dog called Tovey, who died before I was born.
My grandfather Bill and my mother Caroline claimed to have heard a baby crying there, but as I didn't hear that at the time, I took very little notice of what they said. The activity, however, got so bad that my mother, grandmother, and I slept downstairs with the lights on. It was only my grandfather who was supposedly brave enough to sleep there. It was then that he himself had yet another experience in there. He told us that he was lying on the bed when all of a sudden he couldn't move. He couldn't even shout out to us to help him. This could well have been sleep paralysis, but he said he heard something in the room with him. My grandmother Rita had her own experiences. One day she went upstairs into that room to get my grandfather up when she saw the boiler door open wide by itself. She didn't stay there long enough to see what it was, but she rushed out of that room. Another occasion, she said she had the sensation of something pulling from underneath her foot, like she maybe had stepped on a gown. We had the ghost for so long that my grandmother gave it a pet name. She called him Johnny, and my grandfather would shout out that name to provoke a reaction, but nothing would happen. Ivy Francis's son, Charles, got to hear about what was going on at Gladstone, and he came along with some friends, and with my family's permission, they went into the bedroom. It frightened one of his friends so badly that, to this day, his friend still says it was a spooky place. My mother, Caroline, had an operation and ended up on crutches to support herself. The local nurse would tend to her foot. My mother was sat on the chair when the nurse came this day, and the nurse knelt down to tend to her, and she told my mother not to hold her. My mother looked at my grandmother in amazement as she was not holding on to the nurse at all. My mother made her own conclusions that it was Johnny the ghost that was holding her, though it was not for the nurse to hurt her. The only time I heard the ghost being vocal was the time we were all in the bedroom. One of us wanted to use the bathroom and we couldn't get in there. My grandfather Bill said, he's behind there. I heard quite distinctly the sound of a Gregorian chant, and that was it, nothing more. We left in the summer of 1978 when two local businessmen bought the property and Gladstone Villa was eventually converted into a small hotel, and its name changed to Reds Park Hotel. On the night before we moved, there was one final incident we experienced, as if it knew we were going, and that was its way of saying goodbye. My mother, grandmother, and I got ready to go to sleep. The light was still on, and then we heard the doorknob turning, as if someone was trying to get in. At first, I naturally suspected my grandfather, as he was the only one who slept upstairs in that room, and we thought it might have been him playing a prank. I called out to him, but there was no answer, no laugh that would have given him away. We then heard our belongings that were packed in the hallway being thrown around. The next day, we asked my grandfather, Bill, if it was him playing a joke on us. He insisted it wasn't him, and to this very day, I believe him. I had my 40th birthday at Red's Park Hotel in August 2009 for old time's sake, and it was the female staff that told me about the ghost, and I told them about what had happened to me there 30 years before. The staff told me some of their own personal experiences, lights going off and on, the odd sighting in room five. A bride in white was seen, 
again, with the claims of the baby crying, it made no sense to me at the time. I did a thorough research of the property and the Cardiff Road area, and I found out some very interesting things indeed. I found out from Bargo Library and local newspaper archives that Gladstone Villa dates back to 1900, and it was named after the former British Prime Minister, William Gladstone. I discovered the previous people that lived there, the Kimiat family in 1924, the newly married couple Michael and Evelyn Kimiat, and a son named Elvin Kimiat. He died at the property at just four months old, according to the archives of Cardiff newspaper, the Western Mail of that year. This explained the baby my mother and grandfather heard in the bedroom. Mrs. Evelyn Kimmett died in 1970, soon after I was born. Maybe this is why the activity all of a sudden started. I also found that there was a monastery on Baldwin Street, where my parents met and worked, and there is a property directly opposite the former Gladstone Villa property in Cardiff Road, dating back to the 16th century. It is now a public house called the Rafa Club. A priest hide is said to be there, but it's sealed up. This perhaps explains the monk my mother saw. What I've said here is true. I wouldn't share this if I couldn't possibly back this up, and I have used real names as I have nothing to hide, and all I have said can be verified by the family of those people I mentioned. Sadly, some of the people I have mentioned are no longer with us. I challenge any hardened skeptic and firm non-believer, and I can assure them that they will indeed most certainly question their belief system. Of this I have no doubt at all whatsoever. In fact, I am 100% positive. Wow, Andrew, that is a really cool story, and I appreciate you sharing that with us, certainly. And, uh, you know, this entire haunting story runs the gamut and hits every single point that you would for some reason, expect to see in a classic long-term haunting experience from the UK. There are, of course, the trademark tags that you see everywhere in general hauntings, things like footsteps to items being moved. But with this one, not only do you see objects being moved or do you know objects have been moved, but in one point, you actually witness the object moving where with the ironing board actually being placed on a person instead of just waking up and finding it there you actually see it moving which is absolutely amazing um also the things that are specific to the uk that we see a lot of times and i'm not sure if it's just because of the history of the uk or what but uh we have a apparition of the clergy and gregorian chants being heard which is something that you hear a lot of in haunting experiences in the uk for some reason and then we even have a phantom dog uh, with the ghost of the Labrador landing on your bed, which is kind of like a signature item in any worthwhile haunting in the British Isles. So I love the fact that you have all those elements in there. Um, and it definitely sounds like it was an extremely haunted location. I also love the fact that you not only go through what was occurring in the house, but what was occurring in the world concurrent to the experiences and that you kind of pepper your chronicle with what music was popular at the time. 
you know, folks who know me know that I am an absolute certified music freak. And it really gives me a complete sense of the world that these things were happening in when you mentioned what was on the radio and what was the top song at that time, things like that. Really adds a lot to your story. Now, Andrew, you also state on there that the property's still there. And he did send uh, a message along with it where he basically said anybody who is interested can definitely look it up on Google Maps. It's on Cardiff Road in Gargos, Wales, UK, near uh, Carefully and Cardiff. Um, he would love it if somebody would get out there and do an investigation. It uh, feels that it would be very much uh, a great place. It needs to be thoroughly investigated. So if any of our UK listeners that have investigative teams, and I know we have quite a few of them, um, would like to delve knee-deep into that, contact me and I can get you the information I have or I can put you in contact with Andrew. Just shoot me an email at trueparanormalpodcast at gmail.com and I can definitely take it from there. In the meantime, Andrew, again, I really appreciate you sharing this story with us. It was an absolutely incredible and detailed tale that you uh, shared with us and we are all very, very happy that you chose to do so. Thanks, buddy. You are an absolute rock star. Okay, our next story comes to us from Mindy, and she has titled it Haunted Pennsylvania. Okay, Mindy, let's see what you sent to us. When I was 14, my mom and I moved from Florida to Pennsylvania to be with our family. We moved into a small house that had been turned into apartments. My aunt had lived there when I was a baby, and she had always thought that it was haunted. Of course, my mom didn't believe her. In fact, I can still remember my mom and my aunt sitting in the kitchen, and my aunt telling her about the house being haunted, with my mom laughing it off and thinking it was a joke. She wouldn't necessarily keep that opinion for very long. Now, the main hallway in the apartment is very long. One evening before we moved in, my mom was leaving the kitchen and got about halfway down the hall and felt someone pull her hair. She turned and no one was there. My mom yelled to my aunt, asking if she was trying to scare her and she was still in the kitchen. Of course, my mom didn't think too much of it until we moved in years later. Our first night we slept on the living room floor because we had no beds in the apartment yet. I got up to go to the bathroom, and when I walked through the bedroom to get to the bathroom, suddenly the radio turned on and the volume turned all the way up. We always turned it off before bed, and of course we never kept the volume that loud. Nothing happened immediately after that, so we forgot about it after a while. About a year later, I was doing the dishes, and I felt someone tickle my neck. I thought it was my little sister and yelled at her to stop. It happened again and I turned to yell at her and no one was in the kitchen with me. I was a bit freaked out but my mom said I must have imagined it. We have a coal furnace for heat and we had to shovel coal out of the basement to load it. One night we were down there and I was looking around the basement. Underneath the light in the middle of the room was a man. I could see the left side of his body from head to toe. He was transparent, but other than that, looked completely normal, 
and I could see him, plain as day. I was terrified and started crying. I ran upstairs and never went down again. My cousin also said that she would often see a man sitting in front of the fireplace. My mom never let me take pictures to try and catch something, so I have no evidence. But I thought I'd share the story. After we moved out, we found the house was owned by an old bootlegger named Prince Farrington. There were tunnels under the house where he would transport the liquor from house to house. I think he was the one that I saw that night under the light. Okay, Mindy, that was a very cool story. Uh, and that's proof that you don't have to write a 15-page uh, story for it to be creepy and cool and entertaining for folks. I really appreciate you sending that to us. Um, the thing that sticks out to me in your story is the electrical phenomenon. And that's something that you see occasionally in locations with fairly strong haunting activity. And from what I read in your story, uh, with the hair being pulled and the touches and things like that, and obviously the full body apparition, it definitely sounded like there was some strong haunting activity going on there. Might not have been a huge number of events, but what you experienced was pretty powerful. Amazingly enough, I had kind of a similar experience once to the one that you had regarding the radio. Although my personal experience was one with one of those whole house speaker systems. Um, and I'll, you know, I don't want to get into that now. I'll probably actually, if you guys would like, I'll get into that on another episode. Maybe one where I share some of my own personal experiences. Again, if that's something you guys would be interested in, let me know and we can absolutely make that happen. But at any rate, definitely sounds like you had a kind of a playful spirit in the house. Not necessarily malicious, even though you were certainly scared as a child. And I would be too if I was a little kid and I saw a semi-transparent person standing underneath a light. And I agree that it's probably very likely that it was the spirit of the old bootlegger. You know, kind of still keeping watch over the property that allowed him to conduct his business in the most secretive of ways. Obviously, the tunnels are very, very cool. But at any rate, Mindy, I do appreciate you sending your story. That was very cool. Thank you very, very much. Okay, the last story of the evening comes to us from Annie. And if you guys have been listening pretty regularly, you'll recognize that this is part two of our story from Annie called The Ghosts Who Know Me. Um, if you remember from part one, or if you didn't uh, listen to part one, shame on you. You ought to go back and listen to it, but we're going to do a little quick recap. If you remember, Annie had had some experiences where she had come back from a really low point in her life. She had made a, a really good friend who had kind of affected her long term, and he had given her a gift that she thought that she had discarded, but had mysteriously popped back up in her closet. And this was all in conjunction with um, a full-bodied apparition that she saw in her kitchen, uh, which she has been dealing with for quite a while, and a couple of other really, really cool experiences that she had. Well, cool to us, probably terrifying to her at the time. But um, at any rate, we're going to jump right into her story right after she finds the jewelry box with the stone on the inside of it so buckle up and get ready for part two of any stories the ghosts who know me when i found the jewelry box and rock inside my closet 
I felt myself starting to freak out. I dialed my husband, but since he was at work, I just got voicemail. I called Matthew. Oh my God, Matthew, you won't believe what just happened. Matthew listened to the whole story. I started to get the feeling he was going to be like everyone else and tell me I was psycho or crazy and that ghosts just aren't real. Surprisingly, Matthew replied, I believe you, Annie. If there is a higher power, there also has to be angels and demons. I couldn't believe his response. I squeaked out, I can't believe that you believe me. Matthew said these iconic words, Annie, I believe you, and when I die, I am going to haunt you, because you will always know I am there. Matthew's response was sweet. As the months passed, he would talk to me for hours a day and send my husband loving messages about how great and wonderful he was. It was sickening, really, and only the kind of bromance that occurs between old vets. He started telling me that he had weapons and stockpiles and that if there was ever a hurricane or anything, he wanted us to be with him. He made me promise that we would go to his house if any emergency arose. On many occasions, this old Marine promised to keep me safe. At the time, I was really blaming insomnia on stress and other health conditions. I tried to blame every strange gut feeling I got or any weird happening at the house on normal things. I didn't want to believe in the paranormal even though I was addicted to horror movies and ghost adventures. Matthew and I got really bored and decided to plan a trip to an amusement park nearby. The night before we left, I laid in bed awake. Something really spooky that I have never experienced before happened that night. On the ceiling. I saw a black mass. I tried to tell myself it was the shadow of the ceiling fan, but I could not fall asleep because the black mass seemed to be in the shape of some kind of human. It looked like it was wearing a black cloak and seemed to be carrying something. The next day, we went to the park and had a great time. On the drive back, Matthew took some alternate route that took us off course, so we took double the time to get back home. My husband and I didn't say a word. Matthew was like a saint to us, and we couldn't bear to tell him that we knew he got us lost. He played a few certain songs that he liked over and over. One was Heathens, which was kind of funny because he had such a wild personality, he didn't really seem like someone you would mess with. Now, this story doesn't seem that spooky or like a ghost story at all, but it is. It is the beginning of how I uncovered the truth about spirits, psychics, mediums, and ghosts. Matthew is a huge part of the story. Did he drag me into ghost hunting? Did he realize I was a psychic? Did Jay and Matthew meet? It is a wonderful, crazy, insane, and unbelievable story that is all true and unexplainable. Ghosts are real, and this is how I found out that the ghosts know me. After the trip to the amusement park, I continued to struggle with dizziness a lot. I kept waking up almost every night at the same hour and same minute. Sometimes we started to notice that our televisions were on even though we had not touched them. It was really a frustrating time for me. 
Every once in a while, when I could not sleep, I would look for Jay's contact information online. It didn't really seem that pressing. He wasn't too much older than me, and I felt that eventually I would contact him, and it would be as if nothing had ever changed. We were friends like that. One night, I was sitting in bed, watching a rerun of Ghost Adventures. It was a really sad one where they played the information that two of their friends had died in a tragic way. At that moment, I got a strong gut feeling, which I realized was now just a clear message to look up Jay. Now remember, at this time I had already googled him multiple times. The first hit was a news article. It was point blank, top of the list, and I had never seen it even though I had gone through tons of pages looking for his info. I opened the article and was faced with a really bad looking photo of him, an arrest mugshot. I read the article and as I did, I was stunned. He had committed a crime and been arrested and charged with attempted murder. I won't disclose the details, and I've changed the names to protect the families of my friends. Simply, he explained to the jail doctors that he had been having psychiatric problems and later that night committed suicide. It was as if the show made him nudge me to uncover the details of why his ghostly figure was at my house. What was shocking and beyond my comprehension was that when I saw the figure, I thought that it looked like him, but I had no idea that he had died. I couldn't come up with a rational reason to explain that. I talked to my cousin, who does work as a psychic, and she said that he was always around me, and that it was that energy that was making me dizzy. She she suggested that I talk to him and explain to him that he was making me sick. I really thought this idea was far-fetched, so I didn't do it. I ended up finding another, probably even better, solution. Now I knew which object was haunted, I ended up finding it somewhere other than the trash, and I knew my friend was watching over me. I still had a ton of questions that needed answers, and believe it or not, I was still a paranormal skeptic. But I started telling my friends ghost stories because I just figured that everyone liked a good ghost story. I found out that a lot of people liked to even say that I was just completely crazy. That is, until the ghosts that know me started bothering them. After I saw the news article about Jay, I became very curious about the rock with the snake on it, since my cousin felt it was a haunted object. Sometimes my friends and I would take it out of the box and hold it, daring something to happen. On a few occasions, others and myself would feel a heat move up our arms, almost like a tingling sensation. One night, I did the dumbest thing I have ever done. I took the rock out and asked Jay to show me why he did some of the things I had read about. I told him it just didn't make any sense. It wasn't like him. I didn't realize that I was inviting something negative in. I am going to sum up that night and the following days as a descent into a dark world that I didn't understand. My insomnia was still bad. One morning I woke up and went into the living room and was laying on the couch feeling like I couldn't sleep and wasn't awake at the same time. I heard hooves, yes, animal hooves, walking down my hallway towards the room I was in. 
I looked to my side and realized that the only animal in the house, my bulldog, was completely on the couch beside me. This time, I felt on edge. I heard the sound of a finger tapping on the glass table beside me three times. I acted like I didn't hear it and buried my face, pretending to sleep. I started saying some kind of prayer till I felt like I could move again. I realized that this was one of those times in my life that I had to get down on my knees and pray for this darkness to be gone. It wasn't something rational. It was something I knew that I had to do or I would never feel safe in the house again. Within a few minutes of saying a prayer, it felt like the heaviness started leaving my home and within a few days I felt back to normal. I learned a valuable lesson. I do my best to never leave any room for anything negative to affect me these days. And the rock? It stays in the special jewelry box on a bookshelf in my living room. We don't open it anymore. To tell you the truth, I even sometimes avoid that whole room at night. Now, how I got Jay to stop waking me up? Well, that is a whole nother long story. Whoa, Annie, that is absolutely an incredible story. Uh, definitely a nail-biter of a part two to your story that you were so nice to share with us. Um, I don't even have anything I can really add to it other than the fact that you obviously did open up a can of worms with your um, trying to ask Jay to show you what was going on with that rock uh it does sound like you invited something negative into your house but it also sounded like you kind of knew how to deal with it so i'm very glad that that did not end up any worse than it did but um wow just an amazing set of circumstances and experiences that you had there uh and again i really appreciate you sharing your stories with us and guys we're going to link to annie's blog the ghosts who know me in the show notes you guys make sure you check out that there is a lot of her experience in there and it um none of them are boring let's put it that way it's all very exciting i think i've read all of it and it is an absolutely incredible account of a person who is living with hauntings all around her at all times and who is dealing with them in absolutely the best way that she possibly can. So check out her blog and also check out her on uh, Twitter. If you're on Twitter, be sure to give her a follow and we'll put the uh, contact information for her on the show notes. So you guys check that out. Annie, once again, I really appreciate you sharing your stories with us. You are an absolute rock star. Thank you very, very, very much. Well, guys, that is going to do it for this episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. I would like to thank Andrew and Mindy and Annie for being so gracious as to share your stories with us. You guys are absolute rock stars, and we completely appreciate it and are in awe of everything that you guys have experienced. And if you would like to be a rock star and have your experiences shared on one of our future broadcasts, just email it to us at true paranormal podcast at gmail.com that's true paranormal podcast at gmail.com or if you're on facebook 
check out our Facebook page at True Paranormal Dash The Podcast and give us a like. And that's a great place where you can share your experience with us just by either hitting the message button uh, like Andrew did, or you can email it to us uh, like Mindy did. And we would be glad to get that from you guys and share that with the world. Also, there's a lot of other stuff on our Facebook page, uh, some experiences that I'm having in my current home, which is a completely different show, but uh, definitely some funky stuff going on here that you guys might be interested in, and we try to share some funny stuff there, too, and uh, answer some questions that folks have, things like that. We try to be pretty interactive on our Facebook page and on Twitter, so if you're on either one of those platforms, be sure to check us out. and give us a holler and let us know that you're out there we love having the feedback from you guys if you're listening to us on itunes or any other platform if you would be sure to give us a rating and a review even if you don't have time to do a complete review if you just give us a quick rating especially on itunes uh hit the five star or four star or whatever um hopefully it's five star uh on there and that helps us jump up a little bit in itunes every single time somebody does that which gives us a little more visibility which gives us a broader audience that we can get stories from so we can have more stories to share with you guys and more interviews with interesting folks things like that so it's a win-win-win all around also as you guys know every week we try to highlight a up-and-coming podcast or even one that's pretty well established that we feel like is a great one to share with you guys that y'all would probably enjoy we have a very special one this week it's a fairly new podcast called anxiety uh and this is a very unique kind of podcast it's actually done by a gentleman who we've highlighted one of his other podcasts in the past but this is a little different project for him. Um, Gerald is a person that his background is in psychology. And what he does is he has been struggling with anxiety and panic attacks and things like that for most of his life. And he has learned ways to overcome them, ways to cope with them, and some other things that people don't necessarily who are dealing with that talk about but that's really good information and i listen to this podcast first off because i deal to a certain extent with the kind of things he deals with but then also i have people in my life that i love and i care for that are very much affected by anxiety attacks and panic attacks and things like that and this podcast is great for both kinds of people if you are somebody who has anxiety issues who has panic attacks who has uh things like like that that you're dealing with personally gerald has made it his mission to kind of not only go through his life experiences but then also to share his coping mechanisms with you and that's where the zen part of the anxiety comes in where he says we're trying to change the anxiety into a peaceful zen feeling which i think is a beautiful thought um and also if you are not necessarily a person who struggles with that but that you know somebody who is definitely listening to his podcast will help you in 
relating to the person that you know that has that and what they're going through and how you can help them out and how you can't help them out because let's be honest a lot of times folks who are dealing with anxiety are getting all kinds of advice from people that really have no idea what they're going through and so this will kind of give you an insight into what that person might be experiencing and how you can help them to live a better life so at any rate let's go ahead and play the promo for gerald's new podcast anxiety here you go guys do you or someone you know struggle through life with anxiety related mental disorders ever get that feeling that you're one of the few i'm here to tell you that you are not alone take a journey with me as i talk about key points in my past and how they may have led to me being diagnosed with anxiety and panic disorder. After which, we will talk about different ways to tone down the anxiety and maybe even beat it together on anxiety. The easiest way to remember the name is by thinking about how one searches for a state of zen in the midst of the anxieties of life. My name is Gerald, and I'm the host of Anxiety. Well, guys, that was the promo for Anxiety. Uh, be sure to check that out. We're going to put the links to it in our show notes. Um, again, it's one of those podcasts that if he hadn't recommended it to me, I probably would have never run into myself, but I'm really glad that I did. It's a really well done podcast, in my opinion. It's great information, and Gerald always does a great job with any kind of podcast that he's participating in and this is no exception so you guys check it out and let him know that you heard about him on true paranormal the podcast uh that way he he knows that his reaching out to us wasn't exactly uh wasted effort so um and we we like to let him know that we're sharing the love back at him so let him know that we sent him to you guys and definitely enjoy that podcast when you get a chance well, guys, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, this is Leo Rizzuti. I would like to thank you guys for tuning in to us tonight and every night for that matter. Be sure to join us again next time for another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast.